Well, good morning again. My name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here at Bible Center. It's awesome having you with us today. I want to invite you back next Sunday for our Christmas Eve services. As John's already said, we've got three of them. We would love to have you here uh, for one, maybe two. Just come all three. I'm sure there's nothing else that you have going on next Sunday. Uh, but we are excited about it. The candlelight service has become one of my favorite times of the year. I'm not sure how many years ago that was started, but a neat tradition. It's part of Bible-centered DNA, and I'm looking forward to celebrating with you next weekend. But tonight is our night of worship. And if you're not planning to come or you're thinking about coming but not sure, maybe you can make tonight part of your traditions. Uh, maybe grab a friend or grab your family or a neighbor and do dinner beforehand and come on out. Uh, our first night of worship was amazing. I'm looking forward to tonight. Again, as Pastor Robert said, it would be wonderful to have you here. Bring the kiddos. Uh, they'll love it. They'll enjoy it. You know, you can always pull out the iPad if needed, but I think they'll really, really enjoy it and have a good time. Also want to invite you to our Bible Center in Five after every service. We're trying to mention it at some point during the service each week. If you're new to the church and you're wondering, how do I connect? How do I go deeper uh, into church life here? Or maybe you've just got a simple question. Why do you do this? Or where do I find this? Uh, one of our staff members, Jane Jackson, is available every service right down here to my left in the front. Feel free to stop by there for five minutes and she's happy to answer all your questions. This past week, I was attacked by a dog. I've been looking forward to sharing the story. You see, I didn't have a sermon illustration to open up the message until Friday morning, but after Friday morning, the sermon illustration became apparent. I knew exactly how I would open the sermon. Some of my running buddies are teasing me, thinking that maybe this is the dog that attacked me. Um, <laughs> They get a good laugh about it, either this dog or the chihuahua. I think that might be like the cutest dog alive right there. I don't know where it is. But it actually wasn't that dog. It was a dog that looked a little bit more like this. I was running not too far from here uh, in one of the hollers close by. And I've run this route probably a hundred times since I've been back, or a lot of times. And as I was running um, my normal route, about 50 yards away, out of this person's yard, lunged this boxer. Now, for the record, boxers are beautiful dogs. I'll tell you in a moment about what I was thinking, but they're beautiful dogs. Uh, when boxers are trained well, like any other dog, man, they can just be a real gift. Some of them are as respectful as human beings. But this particular boxer on Friday morning was not. And so as he's coming at me about 50 yards away, I'm a little slow, and so I'm thinking, wow, that's a pretty dog. Wow, that dog is running fast. That dog is almost on me, and he was about 10 yards away when I recognized that he had teeth, his teeth were out, his ears were back, he was not happy to see me. And I just stopped jogging, and he jumped for my, I guess my throat, I put my arm up, and he knocked me over, knocked me on my rear. I've never had that happen. He clamps down on my, right, on my right arm and starts doing that thing that dogs do with their head, and he is growling and showing his teeth. And, and again, I love dogs, but I'm punching it as hard as I can with my left hand, just punching it. Now, I am not a boxer. I will confess to you, I am like the world's class wuss uh, when it comes to tough guy challenges, but I am hitting that dog as hard as I can. And again, I want to let you know that I'm really, as your pastor, trying not to exaggerate. Pastors have a tendency to like embellish stories. So like, you know, you catch a fish and the fish starts out this big, 
But, you know, two years later, the fish was this big. But I am telling you, this is no exaggeration. I don't think I've ever been in a fight in my life, uh, ever. I mean, I had a couple scuffles when I was a kid, but they weren't really fights. This is the first time I have ever done hand-to-hand combat with anything. And the world seemed to slow down. Seriously, like, it was like everything slowed down and I could see things that I wouldn't normally see and I was looking for something sharp as this dog is on top of me and I'm trying to knock it off and I'm looking for rocks by the side of the road, nothing. Finally, after a few more hits, the dog lets go and he takes a few steps back, gives me time to jump up. Now, I've seen what to do in the movies, right? Like, I don't know why they do this, but I did this. And the dog jumped at me a second time, and I hit it as hard as I could right in the nose. Because I was scared. Your adrenaline is pumping. Your heart is beating. This thing is growling. And he took a couple more steps back, and the whole thing was seen by a school bus driver a few yards away. And and I saw him at first, and then I lost track of him because I'm focused on the dog. And the school bus driver revs up his engine and tries seemingly to hit the dog to protect me. And the dog jumps out of the way. So between me and the dog is now the school bus. So it seems logical. My only survival thought was get on the school bus as fast as you can. So I'm standing there. He almost comes to a stop and I'm trying to get in. Just, I mean, now this is an exaggeration, but this is how I felt. I felt like, you know, those movies were like, the blood fingerprints are going down the door. And the school bus driver starts shaking his head and goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) Now, I've since learned that they're not allowed to pick up stray travelers when they're picking up kids for school. I've since learned that. But I think Dr. During would give him a little bit of a, a pass to save a man's life. And he drives on past, and the dog now has nothing between me and him, and he starts chasing me again. And I take off running as hard as I can run. Now, what I haven't told you yet is the whole time, there's several things that makes this this story a little unique. One, that is I'm wearing tights, right? (laughs) Now, I wear shorts over my tights. I'm not that guy, but I'm wearing running tights because it's 30 degrees. Two, my, my gloves, I refuse to spend $45 for a set of racing gloves, running gloves at Robert's. So I bought a pair of gloves for like eight bucks at Walmart, and they look like isotoner gloves. They are not isotoner gloves, but they look like it. So here's a grown man in isotoners and tights fighting a dog trying to save his life. Again, thankfully through the bus driver, I was able to get away, and uh, the county is working on it. We want to protect our kids. Come to find out there's like four or five people here in the area that have been bitten by that dog, and so we're working to protect our church, protect our kids, and protect you. But one of the things that was hurt the most, I really didn't get hurt. I had three layers of sleeves, and so it shredded the end of my jacket. Uh, but I didn't, thankfully, nothing broke the skin. I've got a softball-sized bruise uh, in a place I can't post on Facebook. And, uh, but really, the thing that was hurt the most was my pride, right? Like, I consider myself a confident man. I like to think I am a leader, I am strong, I feel like I know what's going on in the room, and it it set me back, it it literally knocked me on my, my rear as I realized I'm not as tough and as confident as what I picture myself as being. You know, this past year, some of you, maybe you haven't been attacked by a dog, but you have been knocked down, 
And going into 2017, you thought you were tough, you thought you were strong, but it has knocked you back. And maybe this morning you're wrestling with your confidence. You're wondering, can I ever be bold again? Can I ever be courageous again? Can I ever be strong again? How can I be confident in the Christian life? This morning I want to use this song uh, from Zechariah to speak, may it speak to your heart. I'll tell you the story of Zechariah, give you one main challenge, and give you three reasons why it's so important to live. If you think with me for a minute, as we turn to Luke chapter 1, you can go ahead and turn there. The Gospel of Luke gives us four songs. The first song we looked at was the song of Mary. The second song we looked at was the song of Simeon. But today we're looking at the song of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. 2,000 years ago, this man, Zechariah, uh, was a priest. He was a pastor of sorts. When we talk about people who lived a long time ago, who worked in the temple and wore strange clothes, it's important for us to try to find ways that we connect to them. This guy has more in common with us than what we may realize. He struggled with the same issues. He lacked confidence in God. He'd married a young lady by the name of Elizabeth. When he and Elizabeth got married, you can imagine as people pronounce blessings on their life. May you have many children, and may one of them be the Messiah. So just like every Jewish young couple, they wanted to have a lot of kids because they were hoping that one of them would be the Savior, the Deliverer. But years had passed, and by the time we get to the story in Luke chapter 1, they're both card-carrying members of AARP. They have long forgot about their dreams of having children. That's no longer even on their radar. But then something out of the ordinary happens. Zechariah gets an invitation to come and work in the temple. There were about 18,000 priests at that time that were in and around Israel. And so they would usually take a turn near the Holy of Holies doing their duty, usually once a lifetime. So it was a big deal to get called up to work in the temple with the incense at the Holy of Holies. Zechariah gets called up. You can picture if he's, he's got a censer and the incense is going everywhere and he's doing his duty, Gabriel appears out of nowhere. And Gabriel tells Zechariah, you are going to have a baby. Elizabeth is going to get pregnant and you are going to have a son named John. Now, Zechariah thinks he's crazy. He's a lot like us sometimes. We know what God promises, but yet can it really happen? Will it really take place? And he's thinking about his dear, lovely, but yet aging wife. There is no way she's having a baby. Well, evidently, Gabriel didn't like his answer. And Gabriel struck him with not being able to speak, struck him mute. So for nine months of the pregnancy, he wasn't able to talk. All he could do was meditate. All he could do was listen. All he could do was read. But after nine months, John, we know him as John the Baptist, was born. And John was greeted into this world with a song that I'd like us to read together today. If you would stand with me, if you're physically able, we'll read Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. 
And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Here's the main encouragement I want to leave you with today for you to think about this week. Let Christmas make you a more confident Christian. Let Christmas make you a more confident Christian. We've been talking a lot about the story of Christmas. But if we're not careful, it's easy for it to become a myth, almost like Greek mythology or just another tradition, right? We do Easter, we do Christmas, we do Memorial Day, we do Labor Day, we do Veterans Day, so we do Christmas. But I want to encourage you to let Christmas make you a more confident Christian, I'm praying today that the Christmas message will make you bolder, more courageous, fearless, hopeful, and faith-filled. I'm praying that this message, this text, this season will make you less afraid, less timid, and less anxious, less fearful. You'll be more sure of yourself and find strength to make it through the holidays. Now, why can the Christmas message do all of that? Why can the Christmas message make us more confident Christians? Zechariah's song tells us why. The first reason we see in verse 68, through the Christmas message, Zechariah reminds us, we were slaves, but God bought our freedom. We were slaves, but God bought our freedom. He says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed Israel his people. This particular song is named uh, in some churches by the very first word, blessed. In Latin, it's benedictus. So our Catholic brothers and sisters will call it the benedictus. Uh, it's just a way of showing that, that Zechariah was blessing, first of all, the Lord, and Zechariah was blessing his son. One thing about Zechariah is he gave most of the credit, all of the eternal credit, to the Lord Jesus Christ but Zechariah also mentioned his son. He bragged on his boy in verses 76 and 77. Or verses 70, yeah, 76 and 77, we see that. But look with me in verse 68, where he says, He has visited and redeemed his people. The word visited means stop by. God has knocked on the door. Heaven came to earth. 
natural invaded, supernatural invaded natural. In verse 78, we see the same word again, the word visit. He says, he gave light to those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 78, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Already, Zechariah is knowing that Jesus hasn't even arrived. He says that God, the blessed high holy God, is going to visit us. God is stopping by. Now, what's going to happen when God stops by? We see it again in verse 68. He says, he will visit us and redeem us. Now, the word redeem, when we think about redeeming, often we think of sports. We think about how the Cleveland Cavs want to redeem themselves. We think about how that the Cleveland Browns will never be able to redeem themselves. But let's get sports out of our mind for a minute and try to go back 100 years, a couple hundred years in our nation's history. Let's go back in world history and use this word as it was intended. Think about slavery. When the, the Jews would have read this, when the early church would have read this, they would have known that God was talking about buying them out of slavery. And so God writes to his people through the prophet Zechariah, and he says, I am going to pull you, I'm going to buy you, I'm going to purchase you out of the slave market of sin. Zechariah was thinking probably more earthly salvation at the time. They wanted to be saved from Rome, Roman rule. But we know it also has spiritual overtones in that we are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. This past week, I read an article in the Washington Post about a, man, about a man by the name of Robert Carter. Robert Carter III. In the late 1700s, Robert Carter was one of the wealthiest men alive. He was in the top 1%, as we say today. Thomas Jefferson went to Robert Carter when Thomas Jefferson wanted to borrow money. Robert Carter owned 16 plantations in northern Virginia, 12 of which he named after the Zodiac. But on August the 1st, 1971, he did something that shocked the world. He had 500 slaves across 12 plantations, or 16 plantations, and he set them all free. Free, no strings attached. They were free. This was 70 years before the Civil War and 30 years before the abolitionist movement in Britain. And many thought he was crazy. His slaves were valued at $100,000, a sum comparable today to $2.5 or $3 million. Nobody was sure why he did it. And as you read the Washington Post article, they're still not sure. He never explained why. One uh, theory is that Robert Carter knew that it would stimulate the economy and that if his slaves wanted to work for him and he paid them a modest wage, he could actually produce more. But that uh, theory is, is really uh, disproven by the fact that you got people like Washington and Jefferson who both died with over 200 slaves, and they had access to the same economic information as Carter. So there's nothing that really shows that he made more money by doing this with his slaves. Another theory is that he became deeply entrenched in the Baptist church. And churches at that time were like churches today. You're always wondering, what social issue should we speak against? 
And the Baptist church in his area of Northern Virginia was preaching thankfully against slavery. And so one theory is that he became under, came under conviction. But I was blown away when I read this this week. This, this Mr. Carter, Robert Carter, many of the slaves came back to work for him and he paid them more than a modest wage. He gave them a place to stay and he gave them a quality of life. And his plantation today originally was over 70,000 acres. There's only 11 acres left. But all around what used to be his plantation are cemeteries of unmarked graves where his slaves were buried. And when Robert Carter died, he told his family, bury me in one of those unmarked graves because I gave my life for these slaves and I want to associate with them in death. Nobody knows where Robert Carter is buried. He considered himself one of them. He became like one of them. He even died like one of them to show that he loved them. And as I read the story this week, I'm thinking about Robert Carter, but also thinking about Jesus. Jesus at Christmas became one of us. Jesus gave his life for us. He died like we will die. And in every way that we are tempted, in every way that we will suffer, Jesus stepped into that to say, I know how you feel. I know what you're scared of. I know what makes you afraid. But I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Somebody greater than Robert Carter came out of heaven on Christmas to give you confidence that you can be saved. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering about your own confidence with God. You've here lately, you've been thinking, does God even hear my prayers? Maybe you committed some sins in the past and you're thinking, you know, I know God forgives, but I'm really not sure he forgave me because mine were pretty bad. He has. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're wondering, if I call on the name of the Lord, can Jesus really save me and forgive me and give me? He will. Maybe years ago you put your faith in Christ and you're really struggling with your confidence about whether or not you've lost your salvation. There's some craziness around these hills. I grew up here, so I can say it. And there's teaching around here that teaches that if you don't live a perfect life, you will lose your salvation. The problem is there's nowhere in Scripture that teaches that. When you get eternal life, you get eternal life. And I want to give you confidence and assurance to come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that Christ has set you free. We were slaves but God bought our freedom. Number two, why can we be confident at Christmas? Why does Christmas make us more confident Christians? Because it reminds us we were prisoners of war, but God came to our rescue. We were prisoners of war, but God came to our rescue. Theologians believe this particular song was built around these three images. So we've seen the images of slavery, and now we're looking at the image of prisoners of war and rescue. We're going to work backwards through it for just a minute. Look with me back in verse 74. 
In verse 74, Zechariah sings that we may be delivered from the hand of our enemies and serve him without fear. If you underline in your Bible, you might underline that. If you're taking notes, you can write, serve him without care. Serve him with confidence. Why would Zechariah write about serving God without fear? Because he remembered what happened nine months ago. God had told him, your wife's going to have a baby. And he laughed. He's like, no way. The promises of God couldn't be that true. Now he knows they're true. And he says, you can serve God with confidence and boldness. When God says something, you can take it to the bank. You can serve without fear. In verses 72 and 73, theologians believe that these two verses really form the heart of of Zechariah's prophecy, verses 72 and 73, because it refers to the covenants, the promises. And over those nine months, Zechariah would have had time to think about the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. But I like verse 71. In verse 71, he says that we should be saved from our enemies. And he repeats it down in verse 74, that we should be delivered from our enemies. Now, how would God do this? How is he going to be delivered from his enemies? The picture here, the language, the wording is again somebody being held captive behind the enemy lines, and somehow God is going to break through enemy lines and deliver them. How would he do it? He tells us how in verse 69. In verse 69, he says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. I learned something this week. I can't wait to share it. When he says horn of salvation, there are dozens of places. I've never seen this. In the Old Testament, it's not referring to a musical instrument, but over and over again throughout the Bible, the horn of salvation refers to something like this. If you lived in North Africa, if you lived in the Middle East, and you were looking for something that symbolized strength and power and that could break through almost anything, you thought of this. We see it later in like Viking history. You know, you got the helmets with the horns. It was just a symbol of strength. Now, we West Virginians know a lot about horns, right? Now, I know deer don't have horns. You don't have to send me an email about that. I know they have antlers. But we still say horns. You kill a deer, I'm just going to say, how big were the horns? If you're an English major, I'll say, how big were the antlers? Uh, but we think about the, 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 the horns or the antlers of an animal. It symbolizes strength and power. How big of a, of a tree does that, does that deer rub with his antlers? So in this picture, God is, through the prophet Zechariah, is saying... I am going to break through the enemies. I am going to deliver you, my people, with power that looks something like this. Today, maybe you're wondering, can God give me the confidence to live my life, let's say at work? Can God give me the strength to face work on Monday just like I worship him on Sunday? The answer is emphatically yes. 
Some of you are wondering if you're good enough at your job. You see other people who come in with more education or they're coming in and they're a lot younger than you or they've got more training than you and you're starting to feel insecure about your job. God invites you to remember that he will fight for you. If he's called you to that job and wants you in that job, God will give you the strength. Some of you are wondering if you can live the Christian life. You're a new Christian, and you're thinking, you know, I really want to live for the Lord, but it's hard. Can I live for God? The first answer is no. You can't do it on your own. But God will give you strength. He is the horn of salvation. We were prisoners of war, but God came to our rescue We were in the slave market of sin, but God set us free. Number three, and lastly, why does Christmas make us confident? Number three, we were in a dungeon, but God broke us out. We were in a dungeon, but God broke us out. In verse 77, Zechariah concludes his song with these words of the new covenant. He says, my son John will will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Picture a cold, dark, damp dungeon. That's the wording here that he's using. It's the picture they believe he's trying to paint. Think of Negan's dungeon on The Walking Dead if you watch that show. It's dark, it's scary, it's cold. But then God does something in verse 78. Through the knowledge of salvation, the sun rises. The light comes into that space of darkness. People who are sitting in the shadow of death. The light breaks through and frees us from this prison. And verse 79 blew me away this week. The end of verse 79. He says, not only is he going to deliver us, I've never seen this before, but he will guide our feet into the way of peace. This is like the first mention of a prison release program. God's not only saying, if you decide to follow me as as your Savior, I am going to forgive your sins. What God is also saying is, if you follow me and you live in community and you love my word, I will show you the path of peace. The word peace means wholeness, flourishing. God says, I will help you flourish in your life. I will help you grow spiritually. I will help you mature emotionally. I will help you through the difficult physical challenges of life. If you will follow me, I will show you the way. Now, we know our ultimate hope isn't in this life. We don't preach a health and wealth gospel. You give your life to Jesus, all of a sudden you become rich. That's not what the Bible teaches But for too long in our culture, we've separated our spiritual lives from our physical lives, right? We go to church on Sunday because that's what you do. And then we shift gears and we're like the person with the Bible Center sticker on the back of their car who flipped me off at Walmart this week because I accidentally cut them off. (laughs) Can't wait to find out which car that was. (laughs) 
You see what I'm saying? Like we just separated out. And, and I'm not speaking to you as somebody who's above that, right? Now, I haven't done that for the record, but I, I'm just saying, let's move on. Um, we separate our lives. And here what God is saying is, I'm just not interested on you to go to heaven and one day you'll fly away, but until then, just hang on till Jesus comes. God wants you to flourish. He wants us to grow. There is a major difference between growing old in the Lord and growing up in the Lord. And yeah, I'm still young, age 37, but I am learning. I don't just automatically grow by walking into church. I've got to be in God's word with God's people. And God changes the way I talk. God changes the way I react. God changes the way I love. God's changing the way I lead. And that's what Christmas means to you. It doesn't mean that God's just flitting his thumbs in heaven waiting for you to come up there. But it means that 2,000 years ago, God came down here. And he's interested in your life. And God not only wants to set you free, but God wants to put you on a path of peace. This really speaks to every area of my life. This week, I was thinking, it speaks to the way I raise my children. It speaks to the way I love my wife. It speaks to the way you love your husband. It speaks to the way you treat your friends. It speaks to the way you send or don't send that email. It speaks to the way my wife and I are aligning and getting our giving where it needs to be. And some of you are in that same boat that God would help us put, his, put him first more, even with our finances that God would help us put, us put him more in our priorities. We can live confidently because of what Christ did for us at Christmas. Now in closing, I don't think any of us have this figured out. If you're here today and you say, man, I am the most confident person, I've got it figured out, you may be a little on the pride, proud side, right? None of us have it figured out. But the good news is we're not the only ones who haven't. Some of the greatest accomplishments in history have been made by people who weren't confident, that had been knocked on their back in many more ways than one. There was one young man who was told by his teachers he was unteachable, but after a series of struggles, he found new confidence. And now Albert Einstein is one of the most brilliant thinkers of modern history. In the 1970s, one young movie producer was rejected multiple times for his idea for what they called misdiagnosed as a space movie that involved toy-sized spaceships against a green screen. Universal Studios and United Artists both turned down this young producer. But he, after struggle, he found new confidence. And George Lucas and Star Wars is one of the most famous films of all time. One young composer was told he was hopeless. He was useless, but after a series of struggles, he found new confidence. Now Beethoven is recognized as one of the best. One young developer was turned down by over a hundred banks when he tried to get funding for a theme park. 
He was also fired from a newspaper job for lacking ideas and lacking creativity. But after a series of struggles, we know him as Walt Disney. And Zachariah struggled with confidence at the beginning of our story. But he learned his lesson. And he raised a boy named John the Baptist, who may be one of the, most, one of the boldest leaders in the Bible. John the Baptist grew up and was so confident and so bold, he could look the king in the, in the eye and even die for the sake of truth because he wouldn't back down. And I'm convinced he learned much of that from his daddy. This Christmas, let Christmas make you a more confident Christian. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to let the Lord search your heart about where you need to find his confidence and his strength. As I pray, let me invite you to pray as well and ask the Lord to help you trust him. You know you can trust him. Christmas is living proof. Father, would you help us to be more confident Christians in the way we live? Zachariah was a young dad, an old dad, who struggled with the same things we struggle with. But you taught him that you can be trusted. And you used the Christmas story to do it. I pray this season, not just in church, but when we see a Christmas tree, when we see a Christmas movie, when we sit down to eat with friends and family, that we'll be reminded that Christmas is more than just a once-a-year thing. But the Christmas message gives us hope 365 days a year. Would you help us, strengthen us, give us confidence, because we have a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to stand and let's sing to this great Savior.